are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of our Locked On rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. You can find me on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. You can find me over at Detroit Bad Boys, writing articles about the Pistons. And like I let you guys know at the beginning of every episode, I was a credential media member for the 2019-2020 season. That kind of makes me a big deal, but... Before we get into any of our topics today, today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only with it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the game a little bit more this season. So today, or when I'm recording this, which is the 31st, the Wizards were able to avoid getting swept by the Sixers, winning 122-114, and the Utah Jazz were able to win their third straight game against the Memphis Grizzlies, putting them on the brink of elimination, being up 3-1. to one winning this game 120 to 113 real quick about the Sixers Wizards game Ben Simmons shot 5-11 from the free throw line and I saw people actually trying to defend that oh as long as he makes at least one each time he goes to the charity side he's going one point per possession that's fine uh, I think that's absolutely laughable and funny as hell because I don't think we'd hear that kind of uh <laughs> that kind of excuse given to any other player considering the fact that I lived through Andre Drummond being hacked all the time and unless he shot 70% from the free throw line. Everyone was on his you-know-what. So I think that's actually laughable that people would say that about that. But anyways, getting back to the Pistons. Thank you once again for our Road to the Finals by Michelob Ultra. But back to talking about the Pistons. Today, we're going to be talking about how it's the 14-year anniversary of LeBron James' big blow-up 25-straight-point game against the Detroit Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals. What my memory of that is. And read some of this... Uh, what I read about uh, today, that Rip Hamilton uh, felt about that game. I never really saw Rip's comments on this until today. Um, but definitely going to get in my what I remember of that game and how I feel at that time. Also, we'll get into the most likely Pistons. I believe the three most likely Pistons to be traded. And then also we're going to talk about Frank Jackson. Is he going to stay or is he going to go? We're going to talk about that later on the podcast as well. But first, let's talk about this 14-year anniversary of when LeBron pretty much put the nail in the coffin of this going-to-work Pistons team. So, 14 years ago today, LeBron James ended up dropping 25 straight points against the Detroit Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals of Game 5. Now, at this time, I was 9 years old. I had moved down to Tennessee, but I remember watching this game. And I remember, honestly, as a kid, I don't even remember, or as for my memory, I don't even remember like LeBron dropping 25 straight or LeBron going off. You wonder what I remember? I remember Daniel Gibson. Like that is vividly in my in my head. Like it, anytime you guys bring up, anytime this Eastern Conference Finals uh, series cut gets brought up or this anniversary comes up, I don't even think about LeBron. It's Daniel Gibson. He hit like I, I don't remember how many threes he hit, but I remember watching that as a kid and being like, "Who the hell is this dude?" And I legit, like I said, I was nine years old, so I legit started crying when <laughs> this happened to the Pistons. Like this man, Daniel Gibson 
was shooting the lights out and just destroyed my Pistons. I believe that even with LeBron dropping that many points as he did in a row, that if Daniel Gibson doesn't go off like he did, the Pistons still find a way to win that game. So, I don't know. That, that's my memory of it. I Like I said, Daniel Gibson, that wasn't the game. Was that not the game Daniel Gibson went off? Hold on. This is game six, isn't it? Oh, my God. Okay, so I just learned this just now. I have grown up my entire life with the memory that the game that LeBron went and dropped 25 straight was the game that Daniel Gibson went off against us. Uh, and that was not the case. Daniel Gibson only scored six points in this game. So this was the, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't remember that game. I, I really don't have much of a memory. of. I have a memory of the series, but I guess I don't really have memory of LeBron dropping that 25 straight. Here's the game that I'm talking about with Daniel Gibson. Daniel Gibson dropped in the final game six. Now, this is what I was talking about. Daniel Gibson hit five threes against the Pistons. He went five of five, seven and nine from the field. He dropped 31 points off the bench. And in this game, LeBron James dropped 20 points on three of 11 shooting. So this is why I remember. I remember LeBron not even playing that well, but Daniel Gibson saving the day. Saving the day. Uh, that was just, that. That's the that's the game that made me cry. But, for LeBron's 25-point-in-a-row game, I don't have much memory of it, but that is definitely a major point in his career. And I guess you could say that was probably the start of the downfall with the Pistons. I know they went on to the next year and ended up going against that Boston Celtics team and still made it to the Eastern Conference Finals again. But I believe that was probably the end of, or not the end, but the start of the end of that going-to-work team. So... And then I, I saw these comments from, what website is this? This is Cavaliers Nation. I read this. And I saw Rip Hamilton's comments, and I never knew he really gave any comments about it. So ESPN tweeted the, tweeted not tweeted, but put on their Instagram LeBron James picture in that game and talked about how it was the 14-year anniversary. And Rip commented underneath it with, like, these stuttering faces. And then apparently he had a quote back in 2017. He said, we thought we were the best defensive team in the NBA. I can remember when we played against LeBron James' his rookie year, me and Tayshawn said to ourselves, when LeBron James figures it out, we're going to be in trouble. So when LeBron scored these 25 straight points, it kind of reminded me of Michael Jordan in 1991 with him going against the Pistons all those years, and the year he finally got over the hump and beat them was similar to how LeBron scored the 25 straight points and beat us. We felt like we were in trouble, not just that year, for years to come. And... Honestly, Rip was basically dead on. Uh, after this, LeBron, I mean, went on to run the Eastern Conference. I mean, the Boston Celtics had a little bit of their, like, Boston Celtics and Orlando Magic stole two or three years there. But then LeBron went on to absolutely dominate the Eastern Conference for years to come. And after being the Pistons, the Pistons had one more year in them, and then that was the end of that. So LeBron James really did. I, and something I like to point out that makes it really cool to be, like, a Pistons fan and and something cool to think of when you think about the Pistons is that with like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, even Tim Duncan, even LeBron James, like all these top guys and specifically like Michael Jordan and LeBron since these are like considered the two best players ever. But then not even them, like you can go back to Magic, Larry Bird. Like once you start talking about like the all-time greats, each one of them had like knock off the Pistons. Like knocking off the Pistons was a mega milestone for them. Like Magic and them had to go against the Pistons. Larry Bird had to go against the Pistons, had those dogfights with the Pistons. Michael Jordan, obviously, was the, it was the big thing that Michael just couldn't get over the Pistons. And once he did, that like catapulted his career. Like He finally beat the Bad Boys Pistons, and then he never lost again. And then Kobe, they had that thing in 2004 where the Pistons upset him, and it was like this big thing. That's like one of the biggest upsets ever. So that there was a big point in Kobe's career with the Pistons there. 
And then also Tim Duncan in 2005, they went against each other, had that big uh, climax in, in that, those finals. And then obviously, like right now, we got LeBron, who lost to the Pistons in previous years, but then went against them in 2007 and knocked them off. And that catapulted him to reaching his first finals and eventually taking over the Eastern Conference. So I think that's just something kind of cool that Pistons fans can look back on and like kind of kind of talk about for themselves and for their franchise. Be like, hey, we, we may be down right now, but at, at every point in history, beating the Detroit Pistons was a big milestone or a big challenge for whoever the greatest player at that point was. Each part of history, it's always been that way. So I think we can take pride in that as Pistons fans, as a franchise, as a city. So I think that's pretty cool as well. But anyways... When we come back, we're going to talk about three of the most likely Pistons I believe there are to get traded this offseason. And then also, we're going to talk about Frank Jackson. Is he going to stay or is he going to leave this team? But before we get into any of that, let me tell you about another one of our sponsors or who this sponsor is brought to you by, Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. This app is free to download and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team in sport. Locker Room is the best place to engage in conversation and debate about whatever sports subject you're thinking about. Like I've told you guys many times before, I'm always in Duncan Smith's room talking Pistons and NBA playoffs recently on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday. And starting last week, I had my first Locked On Pistons room on Saturday. So from now on, moving forward, we are going to have the Locked On Pistons podcast on Locker Room on Saturdays, either at 2 p.m. if Duncan Smith's room ends up getting canceled or right after his room as kind of a back-to-back Pistons room. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Go download the free Locker Room app right now, currently available on all iOS devices and also a beta on Android devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. I know you will find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues. I can't wait to join you all in the app, and I'll be sure to let you know once the Locked On Pistons room is live. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. And then let me tell you about another one of our sponsors, Rock Auto. You ever need a part for your car, head to the store, go through a ton of confusing questioning just for one of the workers to tell you that they don't have the part that you're looking for? I know I have. That's why you should avoid all these problems and rock with another one of our sponsors, rockauto.com. Find whatever part you're looking for on your computer or in your hand on your phone by using rockauto.com. Don't worry about having to create an account or making a membership. Just head over to rockauto.com and start shopping. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest and most reliable prices. Head over to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there, how did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. So, like I said, we're going to talk about three Pistons, I believe, are the most likely to get traded. And also later on, we'll talk about Frank Jackson and whether I believe he's going to stay or if he's going to go. Actually, you know what? We're going to switch those topics around. First, we'll talk about Frank Jackson, whether I believe he's going to stay and whether he's going to go. We can talk about why I believe he's going to get paid, the the, the risk in paying him too much, etc. We can talk about all Frank Jackson real quick. And then at the end of the podcast, we'll talk about the three Pistons I believe that could be traded this offseason. So, Frank Jackson. Right before I started this podcast, I was a bit confused. I thought that he was a restricted free agent for the Pistons, but then I looked up Frank Jackson contract so I could like be for sure of myself and know how much he's being paid, etc. Before I did this podcast, and say he was an unrestricted free agent. So then I was really confused. I went to Twitter and was like, "Hey, I didn't know Frank Jackson was unrestricted. I curse one. He was was restricted." But after a couple tweets back and forth to some people, apparently he is a two-way contract, which I knew, but. 
when you sign someone to a two-way contract, I guess, if you don't convert to a full deal, you can offer them a qualifying offer in the offseason. And that makes them a restricted free agent, which I did not know that's how it worked with two-way guys. I had no clue about that. But anyways, yeah, he is a restricted free agent. So that means the Pistons have, like, it, it's going to be the Pistons' choice whether he comes here, comes back to Detroit next year or not. They, they can say whether they're going to match an offer or whether they're not going to match an offer. They're 100% going to ma- throw a qualifying offer to make them a restricted free agent, by the way. We're just going to skip over that because that's definitely going to happen. But the Pistons have their choice whether they want him here or not. So let's go over Frank Jackson's season. So I've talked a lot about Frank Jackson on this podcast about how good he was for the Pistons this season. But there are some worries, or not worries, but some minor concerns that should if a team comes out of nowhere and wants to pay Frank Jackson like an out of like absurd amount of money, things the Pistons should consider before matching the contract. So the, let's talk about the good to first off. So over the last 30 games of the season with Frank Jackson, he averaged 12.4 points a game off the bench in 22 minutes a game. He shot 47% from the field, 42% from deep on four and a half attempts, 81% from the free throw line. Now that's, that's spectacular. For a guy that was on a two-way contract, didn't play like the first... When, when did Frank Jackson play his first real minutes? March 15th is when you could say he really started to get legitimate minutes. So throughout all the season before then, he wasn't even playing at all. Then he comes onto the scene, and over the next 30 games, he does that. That's spectacular. Being able to shoot 47% from the field, also shooting 42% from deep. This dude was a threat from all over the floor. He had so much in his bag. We've talked about many times before... I've talked all the time about how he has this surprise bounce to this game that I had no clue he had. He's able to rise up over guys, too. It's just he he's a complete offensive scorer. If you played 2K, uh, any of you any of the younger people listening to this, or if you're an older guy that plays 2K, all ups for you as well. But if anybody plays 2K, he is legit the, the definition of what a three-level scorer is. Three-level scorer, an offensive threat, that's, that's legit what he is. His defense isn't that great. But if you need someone who go put the ball in the bucket, that's who that is. He can score from three. He can score from mid-range. He has runners in his game. He has floaters. He has tough finishes. He can rise up over people. He can draw contact and get to the free throw line. He was averaging two and a half free throws a game. Uh, like, it, And when it comes to scoring the basketball, Frank Jackson was uh, like absolutely great off the bench. There's there's no short-sighting it. He was just like great. He, he, he was great off the bench when it comes to strictly putting the ball in the bucket. So that's obviously the main reason why you'd want him back. And also, he's relatively young as well. He's 23 years old, and he he's young enough to continue to get better, and he had a really great stretch of the season for, the, for 30 games of his actual regular season. So he was able to put the ball in the bucket. Major thing for him. Uh, there are a few worries about Frank Jackson for me. If the Pistons are forced to like match a contract, let's say like north of ten million, which I I highly doubt that happens. I highly doubt any team's going to like pay him that much over a thirty game sample. Which I'm not saying the thirty game sample is fake. I just don't think thirty games is enough to make a team invest more than ten million dollars in the Frank Jackson. So I, I'm not really worried about it. But let's just say it does happen. Let's say a team out of nowhere is like, you know what, Frank, we're gonna offer you like eleven million dollars a year or something and it seems like a team option on the second or something along those lines something like that uh this is what should make pistons fans pause about wanting to to match that contract uh he's capable of putting the ball in the basket really well but on offense outside of that he can't really do anything else and that there's fine that's that's fine if you can fit a certain role on the team like if his role is to simply as a guy who can come off the bench be a spark plug and just put the ball in the bucket if that's his role 
he would extremely excel at it. He he would be really good at it. But like over these thirty games, he averaged more turnovers than assists. He averaged 0.9 assists a game, but 1.0 turnovers. Now, once again, they aren't asking him to be a playmaker, but he really just can't be really a good playmaker. There's a few times where he gets really bad tunnel vision, where he's just looking to score, and if he like just looked up. He'd see an open guy under the basket or a guy open in the corner, whatever. But like I said, if his role is simply on your team to come in and score, that is fine. You don't need him to be some great playmaker. But if a team comes out of nowhere and tries to offer him that, like, north of $10 million, that's something you have to start thinking about. Like, you have to be like, okay, yeah, you probably have to walk, buddy. Uh, we like how well you can score the ball, but uh, we're probably not in the, the interest of paying someone over $10 million at this point of our rebuild just to come score the ball. Uh, for our team I, I don't think that would be smart saying that however again I just don't really see that happening I, I don't see a team paying north of 10 million dollars over 30 games but it could happen we've seen crazier things happen and then also I already hit on it but also the Pistons need to be a little skeptical you always need to be just like not not negative but just skeptical over this kind of small sample size I said the same thing with Christian Wood last year what was it 11 games after Andre got released that he went psycho turns out with Houston this year he was every bit of how good he showed in Detroit last year so good for him but there's also plenty of examples where guys play well in short stretches like this and they get paid and it turns out to be that they were overachieving now I don't know I don't think that's the case with Frank I think Frank was legitimately good and he legitimately improved but that's something you also have to just keep in the back of your head when you're considering paying guys like this a part of your rebuild that's second and then third not even talking about going north to 10 million it's about how much you want to pay him for me i believe that i probably pay frank jackson based off this season somewhere between like five to maybe eight million dollars a year like that would be my uh my price range for him uh, honestly I probably would want to pay him less than that because, like I said, it's only 30 games and he was a two-way contract player. So I would try to, like, maybe... I'd give him, like, a two-year option with, like, a player option on the second half. But I, would, I wouldn't I would want to exceed, like, $7.5 million for Frank Jackson. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that. Even 7.5 would be making me push it. Uh, but that, that's my price range. So do I think that the Pistons end up bringing him back? Yes, I, I do think the Pistons will end up bringing him back. I don't think he's going to crash the market. I don't think a team's going to come out and widely overpay for him. I do believe that the Pistons very much like him. He's another ver- another uh, example of Troy Reaver picking up guys who weren't really thought of to be that great and turned out to have really good seasons for the Pistons. I think that is one of the main things with Troy Reaver. He likes getting his guys and especially when his guys prove him right, he's going to want to hold on to them. So I do think that Frank Jackson will be back with the Pistons next year. I'm not very concerned about it. Um, I did say the same thing about Christian Wood last year. I did think he was coming back. I wasn't concerned about it. But then whatever happened with him happened, you know, the sign and trade with Houston. But I really do feel like that Frank Jackson is, is going to be a Detroit Pistons next year. I, I don't see a future where Troy Weaver lets him walk, especially since he's a restricted free agent. But that's all I got on Frank Jackson. Let me know what you guys think if you believe that Frank Jackson will be back in a Pistons uniform next year. But coming up next on the podcast, we're going to talk about the three Pistons I believe are most likely to be traded this offseason. There's really only three players on the roster I believe could be traded. It's not even most likely. There's only three I see that would likely or are capable of being traded. But before we get to that, let me tell you about one of our sponsors, Benaline AG. Benning is now legal in Michigan. And if you're anything like me, you want to take advantage of that instantly. However, there was one problem I constantly ran into. 
There's just so many different apps to bet through. Which betting app is the best to use? Which betting app is the best for me? That's when I found Ben Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL season might be over, but the NBA and MLB are still in full swing. If you want to take your adventures beyond sports, however, Ben Online has you covered there too. Ben Online even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, things I didn't even know you could bet on. BetOnline has real-time updated odds and props on just about anything you can imagine. BetOnline is the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head over to BetOnline now to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus and your first deposit and make sure to use promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, the three Detroit Pistons players I think that could be traded. So, first off, like I said before we went to break... Uh, there's only three Pistons I really believe that can be traded on this team. Everyone else I think are locks to either go, like Corey Joseph, Dennis Smith Jr. Obviously are not going to be traded. They're going. They're not going to be signed, etc. And then everyone else on contract, under contract, I just don't see how they could be traded or why they would trade them. But there are three players I believe that could be traded. The first one I'm going to say is Josh Jackson. So Josh Jackson is one of those guys that I've liked. I've said that I've, I want Josh Jackson to stay at Detroit Pistons. He had a real nice season for the Pistons, I believe. And he's from Detroit. He's a Detroit kid. And I, I don't know. I just like watching Josh play. I think he has some potential there that if he can get through a healthy season completely, I think he could reach some high places with Detroit. But I do see a scenario where he is traded because I don't think the Pistons are going to trade Hamadou Diallo. I think they're going to resign him. I think they're going to resign Frank Jackson. And then also, depending where they fall in the draft, it's very likely they end up drafting another shooting guard or wing player. And whether we like it or not, I think that's going to eventually make it to where someone's going to be the odd man out. Now, they could find a way to make it work, play small, and put like three wings out there at once and whatever. But then that also affects other players on the roster as well. So I think if the Pistons do end up end up in a position where they end up drafting a shooting guard or a wing player, it's going to mean someone has to go. And at that point, I think Josh Jackson is probably the one out simply because I believe the Pistons don't want to trade Diallo, and they really like Frank Jackson. So I think that leaves him. Also going for Josh Jackson to be traded, he's making $5 million next year. It will be the last year of his two-year contract. He signed with the Pistons last offseason. So he will be an expiring contract, which will be, I believe, attractive to some team that it wants to bet on another 24-year-old who showed real promise for the Pistons last year, who has shown that the the worries about his motor and defensive efforts are completely out the window, and he can, actually has turned those into big strengths of his game. And the only real question mark on his game right now is decision-making and outside shooting. But even outside of that, he I think he's already shown that he's going to have a career in this league as a scorer off the bench for a team. I think he's made that clear. So I think... There's going to be teams that would probably be interested in Josh on an expiring contract. If they wanted to extend him, they could. But on an expiring deal, a guy at 24 years old who showed a promising season when he was healthy, I, I think he would have some kind of value on the market. And if the Pistons do end up getting a guard in the draft, I I just think that they're probably going to choose Josh Jackson as the guy that is going to be left out there. Uh, if it was my choice, I'd love to keep all of them. I liked what I saw from all three of the guards, Frank Jackson, Josh Jackson, and Hamadou Diallo. But it's just not realistic for me to believe that all three will be here next year. I think Josh is the most likely one to go. So he's number one player I believe is most likely to be traded this offseason. The second one is obviously Mason Plumlee. We don't got to spend a lot of time with Mason. We've talked about it a little bit in each podcast. Like we hit on it a little bit. You guys obviously have talked a lot about him being traded 
because of Isaiah Stewart and wanted to give him some more time. And then also with the possibility they draft Evan Mobley. Now, I've talked about on the podcast already about why I don't think that they should trade him. Why I don't think that him or drafting Evan Mobley should mean goodbye to Mason Plumley, Or even just wanting to give Isaiah Stewart the starting job should mean anything about Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley's a really good vet. He had a really good season for the Pistons. You could say it was probably his best season of his career with the Pistons. Uh, if they do draft Evan Mobley and they don't want to start Isaiah Stewart already, Evan Mobley isn't ready to be the five right now. So Mason Plumley can handle the bullying down low. And even if you do start Isaiah Stewart, Mason Plumley is not going to complain and cause problems for being a, a high-quality backup five. It's not like he's only going to be getting five minutes a game. I, I really don't see the point, or not the point, but the big deal or the big want to trade him. But I do see why it could make sense. He had a really good season this past year for the Pistons. Like I said, his best of his career. And his contract's not bad. He's only getting paid $8 million for the next two years. It's not like some long contract. It's not some $10-plus million contract. I think his contract is honestly fair value for how well he played this season. So especially for a team that is like in contention, has a bunch of stars or anything. Like I like using Brooklyn as an example. I don't think Brooklyn will be interested in them now. But like a team like Brooklyn gets formed, it has like their stars, they have the whatever role players they have, but they need just a big guy, a, a, a solid big guy, high IQ guy, knows what he's doing, just to hold down the fort down low. Someone who doesn't need a lot of touches, doesn't need to have the ball in his hands, whatever to be be a good player and affect the game. I think Mason Plumlee will fit something like that. I thought Brooklyn would honestly was going to trade for him in the middle of the season, but they didn't end up doing that. But that's why I believe Mason Plumlee is probably the second most likely one to be traded because he probably has some decent value on the market to contending teams. He's probably one of the only players on this Piston team that you could say 100% would play for a contending team, would, would have a role on a contending team somewhere. So I think he has value there. Also, not a bad contract, and he had a great season. So I could see them moving on from him, uh, giving Isaiah Stewart the starting job, and then signing another veteran backup center to mentor uh, Isaiah Stewart even further. But that's Mason Plumlee, number two on my most likely Pistons to be traded. Then number three, Sekou Dumboya. Now, we're going to have a podcast where I really, I'm going to have, invite someone on here to talk about this with me. It's going to be centered around Sekou's future. Because, and I also, by the way, I know I told you that I had a video coming out about Seiku. I still have it all in progress, but if you guys want me to be completely honest with you, uh, I really didn't want to do this video without getting a haircut first. And I ended up having to cancel my haircut appointment, so I'm definitely not getting on camera with my haircut like this. So once I get my haircut this Friday, we will be recording the video and we'll be up this weekend. But anyways, back to Seiku. Uh, I am going to have a podcast talking about his future because I think it really is murky. Uh, just to give like some quick points on it, my overall opinion, you guys know I'm high on Seku, but being objective about it, my whole thing is is that the Pistons have already went through the rough stage of seeing him struggle and struggle and struggle. Now, it finally starts to look like that he's hitting his stride, and that he's seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. He's making legitimate improvements. His last what last quarter of his actual season was actually really good. He showed a lot of improvement. We've talked about it on the podcast before with uh, Bryce at Motor City Hoops. I've talked about it a ton on Twitter, but basically he had a really good, strong Strong close to this season. He actually showed that there were, the flowers for waiting all this time while he struggled were starting to pay off a little bit, and it may pay off next year. That's why, for me personally, it would suck to trade him because you sat through all the pain, and now once it looks like he might actually pay off for you this season, once it seems like the flowers are coming, you finally trade him. So what was the point even sitting through the pain? Whatever, you guys get it. That's why it doesn't make sense to me to trade him. But I, I do see the reasoning why someone would consider trading him. So right now he has a team option next year for $5.5 million. So he has to prove 
before it's time to guarantee that contract, he's going to have to prove that he made legitimate improvements. And if the Pistons, like we've talked about before on the last podcast, on literally the last podcast I recorded, that if the Pistons do draft Evan Mobley, I think it, it kind of throws Sekou's role into question because if they play Mobley at the four, uh, that takes away Jeremy Grant's position. And if they play him as the backup four, where's Sekou going to get minutes? So if they do end up with Mobley, I think that throws his future into question already. But then even with his contract, like I said, they're going to have to make a quick decision on whether they want to pick up $5.5 million on Sekou. And whether they pick it up or not, I don't believe is going to say about Sekou's future in the NBA. It's just that do the Pistons want to pick up $5.5 million on a dude that, let's say Sekou doesn't take like this huge jump. Maybe he shows minor improvements, but he doesn't take this huge jump. Do, you, do the Pistons want to pay $5.5 million to sit around another year and watch and, and wait for a dude to develop again when he may not even be in like the team's big plans? Probably not. If Sekou takes this big jump this offseason and really takes what he ended this year with and takes it full, takes the bull by the horn and just goes crazy heading into the offseason and comes out playing really, really well, then yeah, they probably would like to pick it up. But depending on what they do in this draft, if they do get Evan Mobley, I do think that Sekou probably will be traded and I, I can see that Seku is not... I don't think they consider Seku as part of the little core four or whatever, like they mentioned all the guys that were drafted last year. I do believe Seku is on that little rocky edge of, like, maybe he's, the fu- maybe he's part of our future, likely not, and that the team may just not be high on him. And to be honest, I think their rebuild is being accelerated a little bit because they got four, or let's not include Kaelin, three really good rookies. Jeremy Grant played extremely well. They got a top pick. In a top in a top heavy draft, let's just hope that they keep their top pick. Um, and I think with all of that, that their rebuild is probably going to be accelerated a little bit. And if Seku, who I've once again I've I've said many times, is a project, uh, they probably will not want to wait around on a project uh, for as long as they might as it might take Seku to get to where he can be. I I just seriously question whether the Pistons are going to pick up that want to pick up that five point five option, and instead of d- picking it up, maybe just looking at the trade market and seeing if any team is interested in picking up a, a person who was a project but looked like that he was showing signs of legitimate improvement and wanted to take him on uh, before they had to decline that option. And I really think it's going to be decided if the Pistons draft Evan Mobley. I do think if they get Mobley, I just don't see how Seiko gets minutes. I think they likely would move on from him. Or, you know, they could just send him down to the G League. I don't know. But I do think Seiko, Mason Plumley, and Josh Jackson are the three Pistons, the only three Pistons under contract that I could see getting traded this offseason. So let me know what you guys think about that. Is there another Piston that you guys believe could get traded this offseason that I didn't mention? Do you guys agree with the three people I named? Do you guys think any of those three will be traded? Let me know all that in either the five-star review down below or on Twitter at NBA. But thank you guys for listening to this podcast. I appreciate it. Tomorrow is Mailback Wednesday, so send your questions in on Twitter, like I just said, at NBA or down in the reviews on the podcast but until then i'll see you guys later thank you guys for listening to the podcast i hope you guys have a great rest of your day and i'll see you guys then peace out everybody american giant makes the durable comfortable spring closet staples you need for work the gym and even happy hour made in america designed to last a lifetime get 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com with code staple 20